What is going on? What is going on? It feels so sweet to be 10 wins and out of 13 games in the driver's seat of our season. The Bills came out in the color rush reds last night and dominated the Pittsburgh Steelers, officially taking over the Renegades song. That's our song now that belongs to us. And uh, in great tradition, Frank Hill Martin, it is time for you to switch to the bucket hat. If you're new to the Colfer Report, every time the Bills win, Fred switches to the bucket hat because it's good luck and he's buckethead Fred. Let's go. Guys, huge win last night versus the Pittsburgh Steelers. I was I said a couple weeks ago I was hoping that they would come into Buffalo undefeated. It is not they it was not, unfortunately. They did drop one to the Redskins. But hey, we came in. I felt like we dominated, dismantled them, and, and went on about our business. But let me introduce you guys to Michael Padres as we get the show started. Fred Kilmartin, what's going on? Hey, not much. You know, like another exciting primetime game for the Bills, back-to-back wins. And uh, this one was felt really good. I mean, I was really impressed with the Bills on all three aspects of the, of the team, special teams, defense, and offense. Really impressed. Clayton Garrett. Yeah, man. This was the this was this was the game. This was the game, and it's funny coming almost 365 days later. You have the same not same matchup, same stage, not in the same stadium, but you're playing the Steelers on Sunday Night Football. They come into the game having lost only one game, none in the conference. It's huge. They're probably not going to be the number one. They're definitely not going to be the number one seed in the AFC no longer. And now the Bills are in contention for that number two seed currently held by the Steelers, and they have the advantage considering they have the head-to-head tiebreaker. But, you know, a fantastic game, entertaining, and a lot of Bills fans have a lot to be uh, optimistic about going forward. And if I'm not mistaken, I do believe if the Bills tie with the Chiefs with a 13-3 record, I believe that there is some type of tiebreaker or some type of way that they end up with the number one seed, if I'm not mistaken. I have to research that, but I believe there's some type of crazy way that – Buffalo can end up with the number one seed still, even with the Chiefs go 13-3 and the Bills go 13-3. And as we get an update from our guy Dan Gambino, uh, from Cold Sox, he had that nice Buffalo Renegade shirt. Uh, Matt Barkley went insane on social media. If you didn't order one, you missed out. But I think he still got some order for a little bit while to go. Baltimore is up 21-14 right now. And obviously we're on Baltimore watch because if Baltimore loses, then guess what? Buffalo had clinched a playoff spot. You know, to be honest, I don't even care about Baltimore losing or winning. It doesn't matter. We're, we're going we're going to the playoffs. There's no way we're not going to make it. There's almost no way that we're not going to win the AFC East as well. And as we talked about last week, the Dolphins dropped one game already, and they're going to drop probably two more because it's going to get a little, the going to get a little rough here. Um, but let's get back to this Buffalo game before we talk about the Tua and the Tuna Fish. Uh, last night, our guy Josh Allen. He had a little bit of a rough first half, correct? We'll say. Oh yeah. Came out in the second half and dazzled. I think he was, he started off ten to ten or nine to nine or something absolutely insane in the second half. The Bills got the offense going. He started finding his man Stephon Diggs, who is going to break plenty of records here in Buffalo in year one. We're going to talk about that tonight too. And uh, what did you guys see from our guy Josh Allen besides the big effing quote? I'm not going to say on air, but the effing quote of the day. Fred, what did you see from Josh last night? What did you think? What I saw, I, I saw Josh being poised again. And, and the first thought that came to my mind in the first quarter is like, you know, here we go. Maybe this game's too big for him. I'm thinking back Kansas City, you know, the Titans game. I'm like, maybe it's too big. And then all of a sudden, uh, we get a defensive score, 
and we come out in the second half, we're a totally different team. Josh looked poised. He had commanded the offense. And all the stuff that the Pittsburgh Steelers were throwing everything at this kid, and he was yet still standing in the pot, in the, in the, in the, standing in the middle and he was looking down the field and he was completing passes. He stood right in the pocket with everything going. And that's what I was impressed about is that the the poise that he had in the pocket and the presence to find his open receivers downfield. And as our guy apex, we love our viewers. Apex says the longest Pittsburgh finished 13 to three. So if there's a three way tie at 13 to three, with the Bills, the Chiefs, and the Steelers, I believe the Bills get the number one seed. So, hey, you know, let's hope that Pittsburgh uh, loses, one, loses one more and the Chiefs lose two more, you know. Um, Clay, what did you see from our guy, uh, Josh Allen? I mean, potty mouth. The most important trait for a quarterback that a lot of people don't really talk about all that often is resiliency. And that is what you saw from Josh Allen last night. You know, we've seen everything from – I wouldn't say everything, but you've seen a lot from Josh Allen thus far, almost three complete regular seasons in his career. But the one thing we haven't really seen this season is see Josh Allen have a first half, that that we saw last night, where he – you know, he, he looked kind of rattled in the pocket back there when they were sending a lot of pressure, and the Bills weren't really running the ball. Only five carries with the running backs in the first half. It was a pass-heavy first half. And it, it all fell on the shoulders of Josh Allen, and we all saw it. They were spreading the ball out. Well, I wouldn't say spread the ball. They spread their offense out. They were almost exclusively lived and died and spread in the first half. And in the second half, they made the necessary adjustments. And as a result, you saw the shorter passing attack take over. You saw Josh Allen and Stephon Diggs take over. And you saw a resilient quarterback who completed 11 of his first 11 passes in the second half. And that's not that's not a bad defense. You know, that that, that defense leads the league in almost every statistical category that there is. So to be able to come out in the first half, have the half that he did, that wasn't all too surprising given the defense that he was facing. But to be able to come out in the second half and have the adjustments made and not only make the adjustments but execute on said adjustments, that was impressive as he diced up one of the best defenses in football in the second half, which ultimately led to the Bills' victory. It was a promising performance. It wasn't Josh Allen's best performance as a professional, but that second half, you cannot ignore it as it was what fueled the Bills' victory this week. As they say, you do what you got to do to win the game. And, I mean, if you look at the overall numbers, he was 24-43, 238 yards, two touchdowns and one enter. Now, if you want to go back to halftime, at halftime, I believe he was 10 of 23, 76 yards and one interception. So, the second half, 14 of 20. I think it was another buck, like, uh, what is it, 150-something yards like that and two touchdowns. I mean, almost a near-perfect half. And, as you said, he figured it out. He figured out what they were doing, and I at some point I thought Pittsburgh would change their ways, and then they came early second half, and they wanted to keep blitzing and blitzing yep. and blitzing until the point till Dable and I and I give my man Brian Dable some credit. Now I'm gonna give him some credit. He made adjustments. Josh made adjustments, and yeah, he found his money making man in Stephon Diggs. And uh, there was a quote that I that I mean went viral this morning around <laughs> the uh, world. I'm not gonna read it out loud because I kind of keep this kind of PG-17 close as possible to PG-17 or PG-13, whatever you want to call it. Let them do all the talking and the effing dancing, and we come to effing work. And Clayton left out the second effing, but that's what he said. You know what? I, how did you guys feel about? Juju dancing on the field. I mean, did you guys have a, a legit problem with it? I mean, do you did you think like he he he's doing this as like I mean I, I don't know when I saw the dance and he did the, the 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 feet and he rubbed a little bit more. I'm like I don't know maybe he is trying to antagonize a little bit. What did you guys think, Fred? I know you're an old school guy. 
Yeah. At first, when I saw it, I was shocked. And I was like, I can't believe this guy's doing this. But then I, I hear afterwards that that's what motivated the team. So I know that I was bothered by it. But guess what? The Bills took it in their hands to do something about it. Yeah. Clayton? Uh, you know, it frustrates me. It frustrates me not only seeing players do this in a competitive manner, not only seeing him do it for TikToks. And I just – you start a game on Sunday Night Football, a guy who hasn't had a very good career since his second season in which he broke out with 1,400 yards, Juju Smith-Schuster, who in my opinion is probably one of the most overrated receivers, not only in the conference but in the entire league, come out on Sunday Night Football and start dancing at midfield on probably one of the most important games that the Steelers have had this season, coming off the heels of a loss, nonetheless. It's just, it it was stupid. It was stupid. And I'm not afraid to say what it is. And Josh Allen coming out in the tunnel and saying what he said, that was the right thing to say. The Bills, ultimately, what they did in regards to Juju Smith-Schuster dancing at midfield was the right thing. Because I'm not sure if everybody saw it a couple weeks ago, but there was a similar incident when the Ravens were playing the Titans. And John Harbaugh went out there and confronted the Titans players who were near midfield. They weren't dancing. They weren't showboating or nothing like that. But ultimately what it led what it led to was an emotional football team using that as their fuel in what was a roundhouse by the Titans where they beat, when they beat the Ravens. And if you were to do that to an emotional football team like the Steelers, I'm not going to say that it wouldn't be a similar outcome. But the Bills took it and they took, did – did the right thing about it. They didn't go out there and confront Juju Smith-Schuster or the Pittsburgh Steelers. It did, they didn't make a big deal out of it. All they did was shut their mouths, go out there, and play football. And that was the right way to rebound. That was the right way to react to this. And I, I couldn't have been prouder about uh, of how this football team handled that situation because that's a situation that can get volatile very quickly. All right. I, I don't have a problem. I didn't have a problem with it. And the reason I didn't have a problem with it because – I don't take Juju uh, Smith-Schuster as a antagonist, okay? Is it kind of disrespectful? I guess if you want to look at it that way, but this is something that he does do at every single stadium, including his home stadium. It's just his pregame. To me, it's his pregame ritual, okay? Now, some teams can take it as disrespectful they like. Some teams may not. Um, personally, I think that after the Bills lost that game to Arizona, that they're using any and everything as bulletin board material. Whatever they can find. I mean, you, you used to hear about players in old days. They used to find reasons to get themselves mad and angry. And I think that's what this Bills team is doing, especially the defense. They need, you know, we have to think about it. There's no fans in the stadiums for adrenaline. So there's no booze on the road to get you hyped up. There's no cheers at home to get you hyped up. So you need things to get to get your mind working. And football happens to just be somewhat of a little bit of a crazy sport. And you need just a little bit of crazy, you know, <laughs> to go out there and do your thing sometimes. So when I think what happens with Buffalo is they took this and used it as fuel and said, hey, you're not going to dance on the field. And do I think Juju meant anything by it? Absolutely not. Did they give the Buffalo the fuel they need? Absolutely. Am I cool with it? Yeah. Use whatever you got to use. John Henderson from the Jags used to have the trainer smack him in the face if you guys remember him. So, you know, it it is what it is. It happens. But I thought Buffalo did a hell of a job. Um, Use what you got to use. Do what you got to do to get the W. I thought they were aggressive. I thought they were physical. I thought they were fast. And I thought Josh Allen is using every bit of that 37 Wonderlick score. As I said last week, we're seeing every bit of it. He's becoming 
a student of the game. We know he has the arm talent. We know he has athleticism, but now he's becoming a student of the game. And the most dangerous thing that this league can see is a guy with his physical tools becoming a student of the game. It's he's dangerous. becoming a superstar, as Chris Collinsworth said, right before our eyes. <laughs> yes, he is. Yeah. He is. So, I mean, oh. hey, it, it is what it is, man. You know, I'm, I'm cool with it. Um, I want to talk about this offense last night, and specifically Stefan Diggs. And as Stefan Diggs is on the verge of probably shattering every Bills single season receiving record there is to date, which are mostly owned by Eric Moss, who I think Eric Moss is still the greatest receiver in Bills history. But hey, a lot of people don't agree with me. But I'm just gonna throw it out there, just so I ha ha. So I know a lot of people didn't agree with that, but I do think he was. Um, I want to talk about just what he's brought to this team, and I know we've we touched on it multiple times, but. I don't think we can touch on that topic enough times for what he's brought to this Bills as far as swagger, production, and just overall killer instinct. Clayton, I will come to you first with this. No, you can't highlight it enough. You really can't. Because you talk about the half in which the Bills had to start this game last night where Allen was, what, 10 of 24. It, was not a, it wasn't a pretty half, and the Bills' offense really had no production to speak of. But then, you know, you shift into the second half and you start making Stefan Diggs, your alpha wide receiver, the focal point of this offense. You know, it, it, it's a completely different offense when the Bills have the half like they did last night and they come out and they have a guy they can just feed the ball to. They have a guy that Josh Allen just takes a snap, turn, and fine, and he's going to make a play with the football, make a play he did. Stephon Diggs, after the catch last night, was phenomenal. You know, Stephon Diggs has been everything Bills fans could have hoped for and more. You know, we talk about alpha wide receivers. So I, I, I don't know. Like, Stephon Diggs is as alpha of a wide receiver as I've seen in a Bills uniform since Eric Moulds. And that's, that's not to discredit guys like Stevie Johnson or Sammy Watkins for a short period of time. But Stephon Diggs is different. He's different from the guys that the Bills have had in this locker room for the last 20 years. He's different from the guys that, that the Bills have had as pass catchers for a long time. He's dynamic, you know, whether he's getting the football in his hands or just attacking the ball at the point of attack. He is going to make a play on the football, and this guy comes out there with the right attitude and the chemistry that he and Josh Allen have have have, have developed, not only just as the season has gone on, but from the very start. That's really what has fueled his success in a Bills uniform, and it, it, it spreads love to the entire offense. You know, Cole Beasley would not be having a career season this year, in my opinion, if it weren't for the addition of Stephon Diggs and opening things up for the Bills offense and Cole Beasley. And Stephon Diggs, you know, we talk about it, I feel like, every single week, but it can't go without mentioning because Stephon Diggs is that big of a part of this Bills offense and their success this year. No, definitely. I mean, and as we touch on that, before I switch over to Fred, you know, it just – and not only is he going to shatter with one more catch, I believe he's going to break Eric Moe's single season um, reception record for the Bills, but he's only one of two players in NFL history to have 100 or more receptions in their first 13 games with a new team. So, I mean, it was even crazier is that with this pandemic, it's not like you had a ton of workouts in the offseason. It's not like you had a ton of work in OTAs. And, I mean, I know Josh is on record for saying that the two players linked over uh, Call of Duty. So, I mean, I, I guess, I mean, they must be playing a lot of Warzone. <laughs> so, but, Fred, I mean, what are your thoughts on uh, Stefan Diggs here? I mean, I, I can't say enough about the kid either. I mean, everybody thought that we overpaid for this kid. But, yeah, what is a number one, true number one wide receiver worth to your team? 
This guy is that guy. He's a teammate. He's not just out there making plays, but he's smart when he gets the football. And I, I like the fact is that he won't try for the extra yards and he's not putting his body in harm. He gets the yardage and, and then he goes down. But there's another aspect of that. Diggs is constantly on the sideline, whether he's talking with Gabriel, whether he's talking with Josh Allen. So he's not just out there as a teammate. He's also teaching as he's here. And, and you know what? He's embraced Buffalo and he, He's gone on record several times saying that he cannot wait to play in front of Bill's Mafia. But guess what? I can't wait to see this guy's live either. This guy is definitely a, a big pickup for the Bills, and hats off to Brandon Bean for pulling the trigger and getting this kid in here. Definitely. And like I said, I, I think I touched on it on um, when, um, when me and Zoe went live on Instagram the other night, and you know he asked me, was there any other players on this roster that you thought that the Bills kind of took a chance on as far as attitude? Because you guys, you guys know I've preached for a long time about players coming in and having a third phase where you have to take players with potential character issues and mold them and bring them into your culture to prove that your culture works. Because obviously we know Sometimes the best players in the NFL, the best players in any sport, anything you do, are not always the best to deal with, not the easiest to deal with or control. We've seen that with Antonio Brown. Shout out to you, Antonio Brown, for not coming here because that could have been you. Sucks for you. Oh, well, you sat the bench pretty much in Tampa Bay this last week, too. Congratulations. But not to mention that guy, keep keep it going. You know, sometimes you have players that have issues. Um, and I think that Stefan Dick's issues in Minnesota were, I think they were dramatized. I, at this point, there's no way you could tell me this kid was a cancer in Minnesota's locker room. And, you know, he made a, a quote on this day talk about what actually happened. And he's very he's a very transparent person. I'm coming to Buffalo, I realize he's extremely transparent, which is you don't get that a lot. And he said that the real issue of Minnesota was that they went to a heavy run scheme and that he was not told that they were doing that. And he didn't understand what his role was. And I guess sitting in sitting in limbo like that. You would probably get a little agitated and not understanding what you're going to do from week to week. You can't be consistent that way. And when you really fast forward to what Minnesota, and I don't want to get too far off topic, are doing this year and how many times they're running Dalvin Cook, I could see why. And trust me, I'm a fantasy owner of Justin Jefferson. It gets very frustrating some days because I don't know if he's going to get the ball and get me some points for some wins. I just got eliminated because they ain't giving the ball against the Bucks. So I appreciate you, Mike Zimmer. He gave Dalvin Cook the ball 30 times. He gave his guy like six catches. Appreciate you. But either way, neither here or there, I could understand why he gets into that mode. Um, I can see why that went that why it went south in Minnesota, but I can also see why things are blossoming in Buffalo. He's transparent. Josh is transparent. This entire team is transparent, and that's something that I think that's is going overlooked. We don't have any, we don't have a lot of divas. We've got a lot of ballers right now that just want to play. They got some, as they say, got some dogs. Yeah, and having dogs, you know, that that's something that you and I talked extensively about throughout the course of the quote unquote process, Jeremy. And that's really what we felt was the next step in putting this team over the top, and. You know, I, I don't want to get off topic, but it goes in part into what you're saying about how Stephon Diggs kind of altered this. I wouldn't even say altered this team, but kind of just seamlessly blended in. And I was watching Terrell Owens' podcast, T.O. and Hatch, and he had Randy Moss on the show. And I understand I talked about this on the Saturday Night Tailgate, but I'm going to reiterate what I said again. And Randy Moss kind of specified to the point where he never really felt like he was a part of a true team. And he couldn't worry about anything except going out there and playing football until he made it into New England. And any, and when we're talking about the culture that the Bills have developed and, and, and 
what they have built here in Buffalo with Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean, you can't help but compare it to what the Patriots did. Am I going to say that it equate that, that what the Bills are doing right now is going to equate to a 20-year dynasty where they run the division and they run the conference? I'm not going to get far too far ahead of myself and say that just yet. But what I am saying is that's really the only thing you can compare it to. And that is a good – I'm not saying that's the bar of expectation that Bills fans should have to have that sort of run. I don't think you're ever going to see a run like that ever again in sports, not just the NFL, but in all of sports. But it goes to show you how maybe just feeling like he could finally just go out there and ball and not worry about the extracurricular things and what have you when regarding football and being a part of a team, that could have a lot to do with I, – I, you can't call it a breakout season. He's had good years before, but it could have a lot to do with why he has been so successful in this offense. He, he hasn't been greedy. No one's getting greedy. Everyone wants everyone to get the ball, and this team just wants to succeed. And I think this culture and what this team has built has a lot to do with why Stephon Diggs seamlessly fit into the Bills locker room. And, you know, a lot of people are commenting, you know, wait till Brown gets back. And we've only had Brown – all these guys, we only had Brown healthy a couple – uh, weeks this season and when we did oh boy mm-hmm. and it seemed like now since brown has been gone we figured out how to attack zone defenses a lot better in his absence and yeah everybody who's in the chat saying right now wait to smoke comes back yeah you're right wait to smoke comes back it's gonna be a huge problem because now you have a a gabe davis who is 12 it's what 12 12 games now no, 13 games in and fresh you have Dawson Knox. Dawson Knox is getting more and more to the – and I, I know, I know a lot of people are jumping on the Dawson Knox train and saying, hey, we hate Dawson. I'm still a believer in Dawson Knox. I'm still a believer in him in this offense. I personally don't believe that tight end was going to be heavily used in this offense anyway this season. Once Gabe Davis showed the promise he showed as early as he did, the tight end was pretty much relegated to, hey, if you're open, you're open. <laughs> um, and we'll get it to you, but nothing designed. But we're getting Dawson Knox involved more. The running game again last night, it was efficient. Like I said, once again, two weeks in a row, not spectacular, not a lot of not a lot of broken off runs, not big chunks, but very efficient. Wear them down, keep them honest. What you see from the running game last night, Fred? I thought I saw a good running game. We were running the ball when we needed to, and not only that, but we were taking the clock. So this is another involvement of this offense. You get the lead. Then you start running the ball, staking that clock. You know, that last drive that we set on the ball, that was seven minutes long in the fourth quarter when we got the ball. It was seven minutes, and then we ended up finally kneeling it down. And a lot of it was because of Zach Moss running hard and Devin Singletary running hard. That was why we have these young running backs, to help us close out these games. So that's what the running game did for us last night, closed out the game. Definitely. And I, I, I thought it was good old Brian Dable special last night, the first half of football. I really did because the Bills kind of fell back into their old tendencies of their limitations of play calling. And it, 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 I wouldn't say it was disheartening. I would say it was discouraging, though, after what I felt was his best performance as an offensive coordinator in it, it, probably in his career in the previous week against San Francisco. And, but then it was all the more promising to see the Bills come out of halftime and make adjustments. You know, the Bills picked the be- a great game to have their best third quarter of the season. Where they <laughs> I knew the you were going to say that. <laughs> where they just hung down the field for two consecutive touchdowns. That hasn't happened. I don't think that's happened nope. in 
three years. No, it hasn't. I thought JT would have said it, but that's, I'm glad you hit on that. And nonetheless, it was against the best defense in football. Yep. And establishing the running game, establishing the line of scrimmage, it all had a large part in due as to why the Bills were able to have the efficiency that they had in the second half of the game. And I really felt like that was their problem in the first half. I felt like they lost the line of scrimmage. And when you lose the line of scrimmage, that's a losing recipe. Well, the Bills came out of halftime. They reestablished the line of scrimmage. They started grinding it out with their young running backs. And am I saying that they didn't run the ball a tremendous amount last night? These two running backs carried the ball 20 times in a combined in a combined effort. So 20 carries for your two running backs, and that was enough to scare the Steelers' defense into peeling back and not sending as many blitzes and alleviating some of the pressure that your quarterback was under in comparison to the first half. And, you know, that, that's all this Bills rushing attack really needs. Could it be more? Absolutely. But all it really needs is efficient sprinkles here and there and well-timed play calls. And I thought Brian Dable did an excellent job of that in the second half of football last night. And, uh, you know, speaking of my guy, Zach Moss, he had some fire cleats last year, man. Look at these things. Uh, it's made by a kid named Mac. I actually got a chance to um, meet him over a Zoom call and uh, Zach a few weeks back with um, Avalon Media and uh, – Man, I mean, these are nice cleats. I'm just saying, you know, a lot of nice, a lot of nice cleats. But I thought these one in particular were very, very nice with the homage to Utah, where he's from in Florida and Buffalo. I thought they were so dope. And uh, before we get too far in the show, I actually um, got a message from our friend Tiffany over there at, at um, NFL Elite Super Fans, and apparently we have a little Bills Mafia me- uh, member named Amelia Shoot. She's four years old. She's preparing to fight for her life. Um, her mother reached out to Bills Mafia to request her fan family send encouragement. Her daughter gets ready to for surgery to repair a um, ventricular septal defect. Um, I'm gonna put the address up, or if anybody wants to address, just message cold front um, report, and we'll give you address to send maybe a card or something like that. But um, hopefully, a media, little Amelia uh, can pull through this, and uh, just know that your Bills Mafia family is behind you. All right, you keep fighting, such a cute little girl. So uh, keep fighting and. Uh, Bill's Mafia behind you. You know how we do in Bill's Mafia. We, we're one big, huge family. We always have been and we always will be. So it doesn't matter if you're you're young, you're old, you're in the middle. We're behind you. So keep fighting, Amelia, and hopefully we'll get you something over from Cold Front as well. Cold Front Report as well. Um, so moving on. I want to talk about Daryl Williams particular from yesterday. Um, you know, Daryl Williams has been one of the... Uh, the the shining stars I think of this offense, um, I believe that he has stepped up tremendously. I think it is very quiet, and as Zoe mentioned to last week, you know when you're not talking about offensive linemen, it's usually a good thing because if you are talking about, it, they're usually giving up sacks. That's what he said. So the thing is this: he is on a one-year deal. The Bills are scheduled to have around twenty million in cap space next year. If the salary cap is the projected 198, obviously a lot of people are on this Matt Milano train, not JT. I'm not choo-chooing on this Milano train. I'm being honest about it. I'm just being honest. But I am on the Darrell Williams train, especially last night after he absolutely stonewalled one of the best pass rushers in the NFL and TJ Watt, and he stonewalled him. I mean, he, he was tossing him around like a little rag doll. Like little Gibby Raggedy Andy, Raggedy Andy, he got tossed around. And uh, much shout out to Daryl. Fred, what have you seen from Daryl Williams? Then I'm going to move you, Clayton, because we know you're the office alignment on the crew. What have you seen from Daryl Williams, Fred? 
Yeah, I mean, it was impressive because most of the year uh, against the Pittsburgh Steelers, that especially at Watt's side, they've been using tight ends to chip or running back to chip it. Darrell Williams handled him handily himself. Uh, Watt was trying to get that pressure to try to get around the edge. He just wasn't letting him. And I think that's something this team was missing. And like I've been saying it all year, I have been impressed with this offensive line all year. Uh, Mitch Morris went down. John Feliciano goes in at center. We bring in winners. We didn't skip a beat. We have some depth on this offensive line, and I can't say enough about Deion Dawkins, and I can't say enough about Darrell Williams, the play that they played last night. They're impressive keeping Josh upright, and a lot of it had to do with our two uh, uh, tackles on the ends, keeping those guys off from them. Man, Darrell Williams. I I said it, starting from when the Bills signed this guy. You know, everybody's talking about Darrell Williams potentially being, oh, he's a swing guy. He's a – He's a good backup that can play anywhere that you want him to. No, he's not. This guy's an all-pro right, right tackle. That's what he is, and the Bills brought him in. They put him into that position, and that's what he is. He has proven himself, folks. Darrell Williams has played well all season long. That cannot be disputed. But last night he played arguably the hottest pass rusher in the NFL, a guy who every team has had trouble stopping. And what, what do the Steelers have to show for against Darrell Williams? Well, he had a false start and a holding call. And when you're facing one of the best pass rushers in the NFL and you get away clean like that, I'm, that's a good game. That's a great game. Daryl Williams did it without help, like Fred alluded to. He did it without Lee Smith chipping. He did it without Dawson Knox chipping. He got assistance here and there for sure, but there was no consistency to any kind of assistance given to Daryl Williams. And Daryl Williams has refound his all-pro form that he had once in 2017 when he was considered to be one of the best offensive tackles in football. And my goodness, Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott brought this guy back in after having, after falling out in Carolina, after they completely mishandled him returning from a knee injury. And now he's in Buffalo, and he has, he has set himself up to potentially get paid this offseason. And do I think it should happen with the Bills? Yeah, I do. Because you look at how this Bills resurgence on the offensive side of the ball has a lot to do with Stephon Diggs, has a lot to do with Josh Allen, of course. But this game starts and ends at the line of scrimmage. And not having good, high-caliber right tackle play for as long as the Bills didn't have it was a big part of this offense that was missing. And now that they have it, Josh Allen's able to step up into a pocket and his right side's clean constantly. And that's why you see him have as much time to throw in the pocket as he does on a week-to-week basis. And Darrell Williams, I don't care how much he costs, really. You need to bring this guy back. He is an intricate part of your offensive line moving forward. And he has done nothing but prove himself and earn that money. And you got to give that credit, again, to Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott because Sean McDermott went on record saying that Darrell Williams was uh, improperly used in Carolina when they had him at a left tackle. They bring him in here, and he's an all-pro again, at the, playing at an all-pro level again at right. Well, I mean, let's let's look at this from a business standpoint because obviously we know this is a business, and we would love to take, see everybody take a pay cut. We would love to see everybody, you know, take a five-year, $5 million deal because I want to win. But reality is it's a business, and you got to get your money but from both sides, you know. I think Daryl Williams is easily retainable. Um, will there be have to be sacrifices to be made? Possibly. Very possibly. It depends it all depends what the salary cap is gonna be. Now I know that uh someone put in the chat here that they thought a rumor it was gonna be one seventy five. I thought it was gonna be one seventy five, they didn't finish the season, I thought. So 
I think that we're definitely going to finish the season. Um, I, uh, Daniel said it. And I think it's projected at 198 now. So like I said, if it's 198, the Bills are projected to have 20 million. Now, there are some things that you can do to, in my opinion, free up some more cap space. You can start by possibly extending a John Brown by a year. If you extend John Brown by a year, you know you can cut the base down, maybe about three million for the uh, the, la- the uh, third year of the contract. You know, freeing up a little bit of money, that gives you twenty three. You may be able to restructure Mitch Morse a little bit, maybe convert some of his sa- his salary into bonus money and pay him up front. Maybe take about five million of the eleven million he's getting. That that give you about the twenty eight million. Now we know Brandon Bean does not like the whole restructuring game, as we've seen teams like the Saints, the Rams. The Falcons have done that the last couple of years and have gotten them to a lot of trouble. <laughs> At some point, they've hit a wall. Another move you could make is possibly extending Jerry Hughes another year out another year. Take the base off the front. That may be about three or four million. That gets you around 32, 33 million again. Um, so at that point, obviously. I don't see the Bills going to free agency and be big players. I, I don't see a position of need at that point to be players in free agency. Your D line is going to be come back pretty pretty much all come back. Your linebacking core is set. Now, if you don't re-sign Matt Milano, let's not forget we have a draft cat. We have draft picks, so let's not forget that. And we then we have to question how much does Matt Milano do, do for the Buffalo Bills? I know he's great in coverage. What can that coverage be replaced? The answer is yes. What does he do in the run defense? We can definitely get a little better there than Matt Milano. And that's like I said, no shot at Matt, but he is not a top tackler in the NFL, nor average. He's actually at the below average tackler. The next move I you can make to free up some cast space is possibly cutting or releasing Vernon Butler. I believe that move itself would save about five, five to six million dollars. So how much is Daryl Williams looking at getting? Honestly, Jawan James got $12 million another year from the Broncos, and he opted out. I think Darrell Williams is a fair $8 million, $9 million per year. This is a guy with injury history problems. Um, Deion Dawkins got, what, 11 12 or high, highest paid year, $13, 14000000 million, something around there. Yeah, I think but, it was like yeah. that. So I think nine is fair. I think eight you can attain to keep him long term. So you're looking at like maybe at five for 40 if you want to do five years. I don't see him doing five years. I don't see Buffalo doing five years. But still, I think that's where you're looking at. Yeah, I, I hope to see it happen. Honestly, I after a game like last night, I think anybody that's had doubt about Darrell Williams and his, and his potential, potential and upside going forward and what if he can refine himself, that's all put to bed. You have to put it to bed. And – you know, that that potentially last night, you're potentially looking at the game that could have earned him that deal with Buffalo. Because yep. if you're the Bills, for, if you're the Bills and you watch that game and you say, could we have won this game if we didn't have Darrell Williams on this football team? What, what, what's your answer? It's probably a no. I don't think I don't think the Bills win this game last night without Darrell Williams keeping Josh Allen clean of TJ Watt. And when you have players that ultimately impact whether you win or lose football games, especially at important positions like offensive tackle, it's an easy decision. And I tend to agree with you, Jeremy, that while Matt Milano, what he brings to this defense is welcome, is very good, is dynamic, and I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I'm not going to decline that. I'm not going to say that he's not a good football player because he absolutely is. But there are areas where Matt Milano should and can get better and is replaceable. And he's not as a three-dimensional of a football player as you'd like to see in that position. 
So the Bills could be better inclined to re-sign Darrell Williams. And to be quite honest, I'm warming up to that being the decision that they make as well. I agree. <clears throat> Absolutely. Protect your quarterback. You can pick up a linebacker in the draft. Right. I mean, in reality, and like I said, not a knock on Matt Milano, but no. Matt Milano is his fourth year in the NFL, correct? Yes. How many years have we been at without him? He was healthy. I think he was healthy only one season, and that was his rookie year when he was at – oh, no, he missed that last game. He missed the Jacksonville game as well. So, no, I don't think he's made it through a whole season without being right. injured. Because the second year was the, what, the broken leg? Yep. First year. La- no, first year was a broken leg? Mm-hmm. Second. No, it was the second year. 2018? I thought it was a playoff game. It was 18. He was drafted at 17. Right. <clears throat> Okay, so I mean, reality there's some in there's injury history there as well. So I mean, that's going to be a decision that Buffalo to make. Hopefully, the cap is at least 190 and not much lower than that. Um, but regardless of the fact, if it is 198 and the Bills have 20 million in space, there's multiple moves that you can make to free up money. I know Brandon Bean does not really like the restructuring game. It's a very dangerous game to play. It comes back to bite you down the line, and then you also have to think about. Do you extend Josh Allen after this season? Now, I know I've talked to my close of Bill Jack podcast, James Mallory. We've done a pod on this before where we said absolutely extend him after this year. And some people said, no, 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 we got to see if, if this is legit. Well, I think that most people right now can assume that this is probably going to be legit. This is probably going to be Josh Allen at this level. I don't know if it'll be at this level here, but I think we have a franchise quarterback. And if you think that, I think, yes, you get the deal done now. Why? Because I think if you get it done now, you can get Josh Allen for somewhere between 36 and $39 million a salary per year. And I know that's a, 40. Yeah. Yeah, that's a ton of money. No, but, we're we're going to pay this kid 50 Well, That's what I'm saying. It's a ton of money. And if you wait yeah. and he has this a repeat season, yeah, then, yeah, now you're looking at 40, 43, 45, because now everybody's going to try to be inching towards that Mahomes 50. I don't think anybody will get there, but – Keep in mind, Deshaun Watson just got 42. And whatever Dak Prescott gets, because he has all over to Dallas, could drastically affect what Josh Allen gets. Because if Dak gets 40, you have, before Josh, you have no doubt. And you you have no leverage, and you have to pay Josh 40-plus. Yep. Well, it's a, Trey White, it's a Trey White conversation, only three times the amount of money. That's, that's really what we're having again. And I, I, I'm all... Is there any kind of discussion as to whether or not Josh Allen's the guy? Does anyone have any kind of lack of faith as to whether or not Josh Allen is a good quarterback at this point in time? I understand there, there's these clowns on national media that that, that have very uh, little to no knowledge about the Buffalo Bills and who Josh Allen is as a football player and have probably watched all of four games in the last three years of his play that still think, they, oh, he's not good or he's not this. But is there any legitimate concern? As to whether or not this guy is the long-term answer as the Bills franchise quarterback. No, and as you watch every game, he's in, he's getting better and better and better. Every game, his every game, I've noticed that with him is that he takes that next step. And right. you know what? He's a student of the game. He's learning and he's getting better. He's putting the time in. He's putting that, the time in the off season. He's that, definitely the franchise guy that we've been looking for. That that's the point exactly. As every single game goes on. You have more answers questioned, or more more questions, more questions answered about Josh Allen. Yep. That there, that's that's your right. answer. Give you have a, a a couple of games you've had questions answered during the game with adjustments and playing different. As example, last night where he was struggling with some things, he went to halftime and he fixed everything and came out and just torched these dudes and made them look like the like the Dolphins. 
did versus Pat Mahomes in the second half. One of the questions going into this game was, how is Josh Allen going to handle the blitzing from the Pittsburgh Steelers? Right. I thought he handled it well. You know, I actually want to play a little game here. Sure. Guys, in the chat, I want you guys to put in how much money you think Josh Allen should get per year. Not total contract, but per, by per year, by millions. Let's put it in the chat. We're gonna see what, what you what you guys think about it. And if you can, make sure that you guys like like us on Facebook, subscribe if you're already not subscribed, so we get more people here and uh, share the show on Facebook and stuff if you can, so other Bills fans could jump in and when we uh, go live. But uh, before we move too far, um, and I want to talk about touch on the defense in the secondary a little bit more. Um, I want to give a shout out to our friends over there at Discover Seven One Six. I want to make sure that you guys are getting over there. They are taking care of the community, getting finding kids internships. They just wrote a nice article about Cold Front Report at www.discover716.com. So please go check it out. Those are our friends, and hey, they're doing great things. Feel free to donate them, donate to them. Um, moving forward, this Bills defense. Now, obviously, we know about the juju dancing and a little extra motivation and things as such, right? This secondary is healthy. We saw Teron Johnson make a Huge play last night. We saw Levi Wallace make a huge play against Pittsburgh two years in a row. Jordan Poyer is all over the field. Micah Hyde is all over the field. Trey White looks healthier and healthier and healthier as the weeks go on. His back is definitely healthy. We saw Josh Normore in the field last night making plays. This secondary is very dangerous, and they're getting healthy and in sync at the right time. How are we feeling about this Bill secondary who have turned in from zeros to heroes in a matter of our eyes, if you want to call it that? Fred? Yeah, I mean, the first thing I noticed when they announced the defensive players for this game was that our whole secondary was healthy. Everybody was back. Teron Johnson, you know, he struggled a little bit when uh, they, we brought up Cam Lewis. He fought his way back on the field, and he was impressive again tonight or last night making plays that big pick six, the first defensive touchdown since 2017. That was the game setter right then and there. I, I, I was sad to see him get hurt because he was playing so well. And you touched on it about our secondary. Well, we already know Poyer and Milano. They play physical. But I was impressed with Trey White last night, the fact that how close he was playing to the line of scrimmage and the fact that he was able to read what Roethlisberger was going to do when he knocked down a couple balls. So this whole secondary – with the fact that you got Tremaine Edmonds, who's healthy now after struggling with the shoulder injury, he's a big difference maker, and he's another reason why this secondary has time to make plays behind him. Yeah, I agree, Fred. Clayton? You talk about a secondary that was facing probably the best foursome of wide receivers in the NFL, maybe next to the Buffalo Bills. When you're facing guys like Claypool and Smith-Schuster and Washington and Johnson who got pulled for dropping dropping passes in the first half, that that could make you nervous in the secondary. That could be the case. But that the Bills weren't timid at all, and they weren't intimidated at all either. And you saw Trey White coming up and making plays on Chase Claypool, and a lot of people questioned Trey's ability to handle these more athletic wide receivers, guys who are fast, like Chase Claypool, well, anytime I see Trey match up with guys who, yeah, Claypool has size and speed, which combines to make a, a an intimidating matchup in coverage. Yeah, absolutely. So is DK Metcalf, and he didn't do anything too spectacular against the Bills, and neither did Chase Claypool. And none of these wide receivers did too much. I believe Juju was their leading receiver with six catches. And this Bills, and this Steelers offense, they were held under 250 yards in this game. And I feel like obviously we're going to talk about how the Bills looked in the second half and the offensive production and what they were able to do and come out of the gates firing on all cylinders in the second half. Obviously we're going to talk about that. 
But if that Bills defense doesn't hold this Steelers offense, which, I mean, at one point in time, this was an offense that was firing at all cylinders. Are they playing their best football right now? Absolutely not. But do they have the potential to light it up when they want to? Yeah, they kind of do. And the Bills' defensive ability to hold this offense at bay at the beginning of this football game is the reason why the Bills were able to win. Earlier, in different parts of the season, we were talking about how the Bills' offense was carrying the defense. Well, in this game, you saw the defense maintain themselves enough to, to allow this Bills' offense to gain their footing and, refi- and find themselves in this game and be able to you know, have production without having, a, having some sort of lead they have to, have to come back from. No, I agree. Um, you know, when I really think about the secondary, and you know, this is uh, was was a strong point going to season. We thought we had possibly the, the deepest secondary in the NFL, and obviously, Norman went down in camp. Dean Levi went down early in the season. We had Dane Jackson out there. Um, Mike Jordan Porter has been playing at all pro level. I mean, I, I don't know what he hasn't done this year but if he doesn't get in the pro bowl this year and i know that i don't i know there's pretty much not gonna be a pro bowl game but if he doesn't get the accolade then we're storming uh new york uh with no mask and we're kicking down the uh, uh the nfl's uh doors of get no mask so como will have a huge problem with that just saying i'm just joking but uh please wear your mask that's not a psa to take your mask off we want everybody <laughs> to be safe but uh no, I you know Jordan Poyers have an All Pro there. Micah Hyde is getting back healthy, and Levi Wallace when he get opportunity. I know Levi can be sometimes inconsistent, but he just seems to when you when you're getting down on him, and you're just like I see somebody put. I'm not gonna put his name on this. Our boy, he said, "Can we get Levi Wallace out of here on Twitter?" Then boom, right after Levi Wallace makes the interception, that's what Levi does to you. He does, he does that to you. Then Teron Johnson is a guy who I have not been high on. Um, I thought he lacked some coverage in, in certain key situations. Um, I thought he was injury prone, and this year he's been healthy and he's been making plays. And he took the pick six that pretty much changed the game. This defense is getting right at the right time. Um, Sean McDermott said, and you know, I guess he wasn't blowing smoke up our, you know what, when he said, you don't want to be playing your best ball in September and October. You want to be playing your best ball in November and December. And this Bills defense looked totally different than it did in September or October. It doesn't look like the defense was last year. Don't get me wrong, but it looks really good. Um, well, I mean, do you think we can sustain this this type of play on that side of the ball? Absolutely. As long as we stay healthy, I I, I think sky's the limit with this defense. We're just getting better every game, if you noticed. I mean, even this team right here, like Clayton had touched on, they got a lot of stud wide receivers over there, and and we we knocked them around. We threw them off their routes. We they they weren't completing a lot of passes against us. I mean, Roethlisberger he 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 probably had wor- his worst game all year against this defense, and they couldn't even run the ball. Forty-seven yards is all they put up on us with two running backs. Well, they were. Backs. I'm sorry. Well, they were smacking. They were smacking Connor. Yeah. I mean, he went out the game. And I know you mentioned it before we we went live that Connor went out the game. Yeah, he did. I mean, they were they were putting him. They they were putting people down. I mean, this was a nasty looking defense last night. Like they came to they came to make people feel pain, and I don't know. Even last year with the elite defense we had, you know, we said that they were a good defense, but they weren't so physical, right? right. We thought they lacked physicality. Mm-hmm. Um, they didn't bring that extra aggression that Pittsburgh, Chicago, some of these defenses that we know bring Baltimore. But lately, this team is hitting everything. Like yep. you will pay. 
They flipped the poor Ray Ray McLeod. Jordan Poyer almost killed the kid. Like welcome yeah. back to Buffalo. Um, it's just they're they're playing they're playing top notch ball. And I mean hats off to them. Um, and I think they have a lot of pent up anger. I think they want to prove a lot of people wrong. Well, think about it. They had a whole they had a whole half season of open door material to go off. Whole half season of it. And you look at how this defense is proceeding now in comparison to before. They're making opportunity. They're making opportunity plays. They're creating turnovers. The aggression that they're playing with is a new identity for this defense. That's why they've been successful. I understand. We we've, we've said the last couple of years. You're breaking up, Clayton. Oh no, you're breaking oh. up. Anyone? Am I? You good? Okay. okay. I don't know what I don't know what happened, but we've said the last couple of years the, the the cliche things like Ben don't break. That's what this defense was predicated on. Well, now they're, they're looking to bend and break offenses. That's what it looks like with their blitz percentages, their looks up front, their exotic blitzes with their linebackers, both A.J. Klein and Tremaine Emmons, who are both capable blitzers. Matt Milano, when asked to, he is a capable blitzer. He got home for another sack last night. And, you know, they have the secondary to be able to send extra guys, so it makes sense. And these guys are still making plays. They're being, they're, they're being aggressive when attacking the football. They're being aggressive when attacking their gap assignments. And that's what's led to this defense being as successful as they have in the last couple of games. And I understand – we've said it all season that if this team can find a way to put it all together, if they could find a way to find somewhat of that 2019 form on the defensive side of the ball and be able to maintain their production on the offensive side of the ball, that this would be a Super Bowl contender, there's nothing disputing that at this point. The only concern I have about the Buffalo Bills right now is whether or not this is their peak. That is the only worry that I have. But right now, this is a team that's rolling. That They're a Hail Mary pass away from being on a seven-game win streak. And this team is pissed off, and they are hot. Yeah, you know what? And uh, our guy, uh, Ray Cruz, brings up a really good point here. And this is something I think we talked about last This is something we talked about last week, actually, at the end of the show. He says, touch base on down the stretch. What do the Bills do if the division's locked up and the Dolphins are in a must-win position with the Bills playing at the two seed, and they do they try to beat them and play their starter, or do they avoid them giving the eight seed as a seven? This is something we actually answered last week in the show, and I I think I would I want to tie this discussion again because anybody who missed it was a good discussion. Clayton, I remember you said division rival, you don't play around with that. Fred, I forgot, I forgot. Wait, Fred, wait, Fred was on that short. No, well, Fred wasn't there, so we got to get your take on it. Fred, matter of fact, we'll start with you. What's your take on that? What, what, what Ray asked. You, you play the games. You play the games. You play the games to win, whether it's a division game. I remember early 90s, how many times we played the Miami Dolphins. Three times every year we end up seeing the Miami Dolphins. We played yeah. them twice a year, then we see them in the playoffs. You play them. You just bring your A game and you play them. You don't want to actually throw and, and, and sit back getting into the playoffs. you got to be running on all cylinders. You come out and you play football. That you, that you do week to week, you come out and you play your game. But do you let Miami in? I mean, do you try to beat Miami and keep them out and let Baltimore get that last spot? Or, or do you just set your starters and say, hey, we'll, well try I mean, to take it, that game versus Miami? It could, you, come, it could come down to us having to beat Miami in order to win the division. So you're going to have to play week 17. You play your game. You well, no, well, in this scenario, he's saying that you have the division locked up. Right now, you you have the division locked up. You have the two-seat locked up. But you have Miami week 17. You have nothing to lose and nothing to gain. Do you play your starter versus Miami and try to keep them out of the playoffs? Or do you sit them and, and say, hey, let them come. If they beat us, they beat us. 
but we want to we want to see Miami in the playoffs. I think I would approach it where I would play my starters the first half and feel it out and see what kind of game I'm going to have. If we're going to roll them over, then I pull them out. And if there's a there's a chance of getting anybody hurt, I wouldn't play everybody. I, I would pull back the reins. Right. Something no. like that. I thought you were talking like if you had to play to play, you know what I mean? No, no, no. I mean, he, he's he's pretty much asking like, hey. We got it locked up right. That's where you play it. You play it by ear. I mean, right. you play the game out. But Clayton, I would start what, my starters, though. Clayton, what are you thinking? They locked in the two seed? They're locked in the two seed. They have nothing to gain. They have nothing to lose. They have the AFC championship, the AFC East championship wrapped up. Take, I mean, take, your, take, take your bye week and then take your two home playoff games and beat Miami in the first one. That. I, I'm changing my stance on what I said previously because if you go into that game with the two seed up in the air, that is the only thing that matters to me at this point. If if you if there are any home playoff games that that are going to be affected regarding the set week 17 matchup, and that depends that the Bills don't have control of what goes on throughout the league. That that involves Pittsburgh, that involves Kansas City, and what happens with those teams. So. If the two seed is locked up, heading up into Week 17, the Bills have two home have a home playoff game in the two seed locked up. Then you're fine. Bench your guys, take your bye week, start Mac Barkley, bring up some practice squad guys, and and play around with Tua Tagovailoa, who's probably going to have a, a bad game against a backup Bills defense. Right. That, that's so, that's that's my approach on it. Right. So my thing is this, and I and I said it last year, and I, I mean not last year, last week, and I reiterate it. If you have the number two seed by Ray by Ray Cruz's um, stature here. They have number two seed locked up. They they've already won the AFC East. They can't gain anything. They can't lose anything. I'm playing the backups the entire game. I may play the starters maybe a series. Mm-hmm. But if you're asking me, Ray, and I think this is what you're asking, and no one's answering it fully, are you letting Miami letting Miami in the playoffs, and you're playing them at a home game of Buffalo? Hell yes. Yes, you want to bring a rookie quarterback into a big playoff game in Buffalo, and you want to play man defense because that's what they are, man coverage defense against this Bills team with a healthy John Brown. Yes, I 110%, I'm letting Miami Dolphins in the playoffs because if the Bills cannot beat the Miami Dolphins in a playoff game, in my opinion, and I think they're going to be a good franchise going forward, I'm not knocking on them. But right now, Yes, I'm taking the Miami Dolphins over the Raiders. I'm taking the Miami Dolphins over the Ra- Ravens. And, I mean, the Patriots are still te- – no, actually, they're eliminated. <laughs> they're eliminated. Um, yes, you're right. I am letting the Miami Dolphins in, and I'm taking my W, and I'm going to either – uh, I'm going to uh, – I think the next stop would be whatever second round. Because, actually, we'll ha- actually, we will have a second home game, right? Yep, that, that's the big part of the two seed. Yep. We have another home game. Okay, yeah. The answer is yes. I'm letting Miami in if you give me the option. I believe that this team can beat Miami. If we played Miami 10 times in the NFL season, I think that this Bills team could beat Miami 10 times in the NFL season. I, I think Sean McDermott and Leslie Frazier would make Tua look silly. I just I just do. I don't think I don't think he's I don't think it'd be competitive. No. <clears throat> I mean, I, I listened to Dolphins fans yesterday talk about the, the game he had, right? He had a pretty good game versus Kansas City, they said. He threw for 316 yards yesterday. And, I mean, they're all over him. Oh, look at Tua. He had, he had a great game. He He's looking great. Okay. If you think so, he threw it 48 times. Right. Well, he, they weren't talking about the passes where he's skipping the slants in front of the receiver's feet. 
He can't even right. hit on the three-yard routes, and he's skipping the ball in front of him. Like, I, I don't want to hear uh, Tua, Tua talk about Loa's accuracy if he can't hit these. I, I understand it might sound uh, hypocritical or what have you, but don't I don't want to hear these guys blowing smoke up because this guy is completing slants, because he's completing these passes, and then, then three of the next four hit the ground. It doesn't even make it to the receiver's chest. I'm not hearing it. Like Tua, I'm not going to say he's going to be a bad, bad quarterback. But right now, Tua Tagovailoa sucks. He's not good. He's the only reason the Dolphins lost that game. You had you had Pat Mahomes throw three interceptions, and you couldn't win because your offense couldn't score because your quarterback isn't good. That is why you lost. Right. And the defense is what's keeping them guys in these games. But right. you also got to look at Miami fan base. They haven't had a winning season in how many years? So they're all pumped up because they finally got a winning season. They won a couple years ago, didn't they? Was it the well, Tanya? I think the this right is the first time that the Bills and Miami both have had a winning season since 1999. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's it's been a, quite a while. And, I mean, I wouldn't even call this a rivalry yet. I, no. would, I think our rivals are still the Patriots. Our, I mean, our rivals are not Miami. I, I, I don't see it. I get the, the history of the game. But – Josh Allen has like three player little weeks against these dudes. <laughs> I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm, it is, I'm, I'm being honest, you know. I, no, I, if I have to agree, and I think Ray agrees as well. If Miami is there, yeah, I'm probably letting Miami in the playoffs and say, okay, yeah. we're going to take our bye week. Then we're going to come out and we're going to smack the Dolphins around. And we're going to go in the second round. We're going to get another home game versus someone like the Colts or the Browns. And we're going to try to get to the Chiefs. Because if you ask me right now, I would say that the Bills are head and shoulders above the rest of the AFC outside of the Chiefs. I, I there's not one AFC not not one other AFC team that scares me besides the Chiefs. None of them. And you know what? A couple weeks ago I would say Cleveland scares me because of the run game. But I feel like they're as my man Chris Ingles was talking about mental toughness. I don't think that the Browns are a mentally tough football team. As shown by every time they get to a big game versus the Steelers, tonight the Ravens, they choke. Ah, like a hawk, choke. Every single time. Baker Mayfield chokes. You have a choke. rookie coach as Kevin Stefanski. Mm-hmm. Choking pretty bad right now. Yeah. Right. A, a hawk choke. That's what I say. Hawk. It's a choke. That's what they do every time they get into a big game. So they don't even scare me. Because reality, when you look at it, if we did play Cleveland – and we're throwing this ball around the yard, and we're getting up on them. Can you run the football then? No. No. So. Well, I, to go along with your point, you know, leading into this season, we, we, we talked about the two-year window because you see how contracts are, are structured. You see Josh Allen's deal coming up. You see how this team is really financially built around these next two seasons. We always talk about the window. And we talked about this season being the window. Well, you look at the success the Bills have had as of late, you know, six of one in the last seven. They're riding a huge wave of momentum following a Hail Mary loss. They're following, you know, this team is confident through and through. They're hitting on all phases and and they're rolling on all cylinders. The window is now. This is the window. You you have a six of one you have a six of one record in seven games and you're playing the best football that you've played all season and it's mid December and you're getting ready for a playoff run and the next three games consists of the Broncos the Patriots and the Dolphins and you're you're staring down the barrel at potential thirteen and three record if you really want it but twelve and four because you're probably going to let the Dolphins win in week seventeen this team 
is riding a wave of confidence that's incomparable and very difficult to replicate on a season-to-season basis. This is the year for the Bills. And, you know, Jeremy, we, I, I kind of talked about it before we went live, and I tend to agree with you completely. But I, I'm going to differ a little bit because if you put a gun to my head right now and you told me to pick a team to represent the AFC, I would pragmatically pick the Bills 100% and, and, and to, to, to go to Tampa. I really do think that this team has all the things that it takes. If you watch every top AFC team's last four games, watch all. Watch the last four from, from the Steelers, from the Bills, from the Chiefs, the top three seeds. Watch, watch the last four games and then tell me which team is playing the best football. The Bills are playing the best football in the conference and potentially even the best football in the league right now, and they are on a roll. And this, this role, it's hard to do again in the NFL, and it's hard to replicate. Do I think that – am I going to say that they're not going to? I'm not going to say that. I'm not going to go to the extent of saying that they won't do th- this again or come on a similar role next season. But what I will say is that the time for this team to go through that Super Bowl window is right now, considering the time and place and the momentum that they have going forward as a playoff pushes on the rise. And you know how hard it is to beat an NFL team with a confidence and the confidence the Bills have right now. And it's not just the team now. National media is starting to get behind this Bills team. They've already been labeling them as one of the best AFC teams right now. So like you said, you touched on it. You watch the Kansas City Chiefs. They're, sharp, they're starting to show some that they got, that Jake can get broken down too. So, and the same thing with the Steelers. So maybe the Bills are the team to beat in the AFC. But only time is going to tell if they can keep this momentum going. Well, you know, you mentioned that uh, getting a team getting hot. I mean, we see it in baseball all the time, particularly baseball. Um, you know, where a team gets hot right after uh, the All Star break, get into the pennant race, and they take it for. Well, this year in football, that can happen for the simple fact that there's no fans. Mm-hmm. There's no extra general. There's not. There's. There's. They, I don't think there's a, a huge fear factor because there's no stadiums with sixty and seventy and fifty thousand people screaming. So it's mano a mano. It's man versus man. It's the best man wins out, and that's why the Bills are ten and three. Um, I, you know, you may get some weather effects in there with certain games. Boy, it's gonna be best team wins, and it's gonna be hottest team wins. And right now, the Bill team is hot, and I don't see for any particular reason why they're gonna fall off. Honestly, because they're actually getting healthy now. They're getting healthy and everybody is getting in sync. So, as you said, so what do you guys say about Tremaine Edmonds saying something um, after the game? Yes. Clayton said that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Stephon Diggs kind of touched on it in his postgame presser saying how Tremaine Edmonds addressed the team, telling them to not get complacent. And this this is only the beginning. And that, that, I feel, is a very powerful message, especially coming from a young leader like Tremaine Edmonds. And, you know, that, that I really feel, is going to be the identity going forward. That they, they, they ain't done yet. That's really what it is at this point, as you're staring at a 10-3 record with three games to go, and you're trying to get home playoff games. You know, I don't think that – I think this team, they're not worried about winning a playoff game. They're not worried about home playoff games. And by that, I don't mean, oh, they don't care about it. I mean, they, they have their eyes set on a Super Bowl. They have their eyes set on a championship. It's not just one step at a time. I understand they take every game for what it's worth in one week at a time. But the point is that this team really does have their eyes set on a Super Bowl championship. No, you're right. The, the, the standard is set extremely high. The bar is as high as it's, it's ever been. I mean, not ever, but it's as high as it was since 
Thurman Thomas and Andre Reed and Jim Kelly were there. Mm -hmm. That bar is really high. And I don't think that they just sit in a high to say, hey, this is the standard. I actually believe they believe in that standard. And it's, it's showing. As as our man right here says, uh, Scott, I, Scott, I hope I got your name right, Scott. We are the only team peaking in December. He's correct. Right. He's correct. And to follow his point up, Kenny Riggleman has a great, even better point. Kansas City has five straight one-possession games against average teams like Denver, Carolina, Miami, and Raiders. He's right. That is absolutely true. Buffalo, we were having those games where we couldn't close them out early on, right? That was the problem. We couldn't close games out. Uh, we struggled against some of the better teams of getting the lead and coming out hot and starting too slow. But now they got the ball rolling, and they're smashing teams early. They're getting up by two possessions early, and they're holding it. So I just, you know, I don't know. Like, you know, I just, uh, <laughs> like lasagna moving silence like lasagna. My lasagna does not move in silence. I have a ton of sauce, and you will hear me. But, uh... <laughs> But no, I, you know, and, uh, you know, someone asked a question, you know, it's a good question. I just missed it too. Who said, who answered it? Someone said, who, if we make it a Super Bowl, who do we think we play? Um, Oof. I can't see who said it. Fred, who do you think we play we, if the Bills made it to the Super Bowl, if coming from the NFC? I mean, you got to look at the teams that are number one and two right now, and that's New Orleans Saints and Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers. So I, I could see one of them. And I think actually Green Bay just took the number one seat away from New Orleans because they lost yesterday. Yeah, they kind of gave it away, but yeah. <laughs> Clay, I really, what do you think? I really yeah. hope. I, I really hope they play either the Packers or Brady. That that's the only; those are the only two that I want to see. I don't. As long as you don't play the NFC I, East, I'm good. No, 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 no! Don't get, don't give me that. I don't. I'm not going to pick a favorable matchup. And who? And it's just like, well, I think it. If, I hope the Giants make it all the way this year. I'm not. No, I'm not. I want to. Well, that's why I said I, I don't want anybody from the <laughs> NFC East. I want. Let's I get the Washington. I want to see the Washington football team. Yeah, give me the, <laughs> give me the football team. But no, in all seriousness, I want to see the Bills play Brady. I want to see the Bills play Rodgers. And it's not just for the the, the mystique of oh, it's the it's, it's the most talented quarterback of all time or the, the, the go. That's just that that's excellent television. You talk that about would be Josh the Allen ultimate Super Bowl victory for the Buffalo Bills to play the Buccaneers. I, I just. I, I, that, I'm over. I'm over. I'm over the Brady thing. Okay. I'm over. I'm over. I'm so over the Brady thing. Listen, we can never get back to, from the 20 years he took no. from us. So just stop. And honestly, I think the, he'll get the last. Like, he may take something else from us again. I'm cool with that. I just let him go in Tampa and stay out in St. Petersburg and retire. Listen, I don't. I don't. Why would we, Why would we want to see a Bucks team with that many people? I don't. Wanna, listen. Listen. I'm the guy, listen, I, if I'm losing in Madden, halfway versus the computer, I will restart my game. <laughs> I will restart my game. No, I, I want to see, who do I want to see? Listen, as much as I'm a football fan first beside before Bills fan, I want to see the Washington football team or the Eagles or the Giants or the Cowboys. I want to win a Super Bowl. And I'll take any road to get it. Deflated balls, camera, camera crews recording, you know, change rule switch ups, bad calls. I want the Super Bowl. Give it to me. Give it to me. However, I can get it. I don't care. There's no morality in this. Absolutely. I hey, I I can't dispute it. I didn't watch them lose four Super Bowls, so I can't I I can't dispute it. That's that's perfectly fine with me. If the Bills play the Giants in the Super Bowl, 
Trash can Dan, bring it on. I'd be happy. Yeah. We're feeling in the world, Clayton, just so you know. Yeah, you know what? If you want to gripe the field, you got a gripe with Brady. How about we figure how about we solve those old gripes first? With the Redskins beating us in 91, Dallas beating us, what? or the Giants back in 90. I'll take one of those gripes first. Thanks. Remember the movie Groundhog Day? Yeah. <laughs> I remember the movie Little Giants too. Little <laughs> I'll take that one. <laughs> Living that thing over and over every year, every year. Yeah, but uh, guys, we've been on this air way too long. Um, we got to get ready to get out of here. Hey, guys, uh, make sure that you guys are um, checking out our friends over there at Cold Socks, um, Discover 716. Make sure you're getting in the Fred's Bills Pride group. Make sure you're checking out Clayton and the Overtime Podcast, subscribing to all the social media platforms, Instagram. We got over 5,000 people on Instagram uh, this week. Hit over 5K. And actually, thanks to you guys making all this stuff go viral today, we act, we went over 15,000 followers on the Facebook page and almost to 10,000. Maybe 10,000 will give a jersey away, so we'll give you a uh, Bob, a Billy Joe Hobart, uh jersey. You guys, guys a little young for Billy Joe Hover as a guy who didn't, who didn't study his playbook and got cut after the Chiefs game. <laughs> Remember that, Fred? Yeah. <laughs> Give you a Billy Joe Hover jersey. But uh, what do you guys got going on? Final thoughts, Clayton? What do you got going on? Well, it, you know, we have some adjustments to the Overtime Podcast. Some things happen in the personal life. So the Overtime Podcast is taking a jump to a morning slot at 10 a.m. on Tuesdays. That'll be that, that'll be dependent, you know, on the weeks. You know, certain certain games are going to be played at different times, so we're going to have to adjust. But the default slot is going to be Tuesdays at 10 a.m. right here on the Colfer Report YouTube, Twitter, and uh, Facebook pages. And, hey, yeah, Jeff Uvino and I will be going live talking about the Bills' win over the Steelers and also previewing their matchup for the Denver Broncos. And, hey, it's going to be exciting. I hope you guys tune in. Uh, you, you can watch the show later in the day. I'll, I'll probably reshare it at some point. And you can also find it on iTunes and Spotify. Yeah, just watch it on uh, – watch it at work. Just turn the volume real low. Don't worry about it. <laughs> But uh, I, I just want to give a shout out to Harrison Phillips. Uh, he was the Buffalo Bills, Walter Payton, uh, man of the year for all, all the things that he does in the community uh, for the kids. Uh, it, it's a great thing. It, uh, this guy, he works hard. He works hard on the field. And I just want to say congratulations to Harrison Phillips. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, this week, I don't know what me and Zoe are doing. We went live on Instagram this week. So if you guys are not following the code for Instagram, you may want to do that because that's how you're going to be able to catch that show going forward. Um, I may just take it and upload it to the page. We'll see what happens. Um, but I did like the Instagram and Zoe actually hosted this week and I gave my three keys to the game. Zoe put me on the spot. So we're going to go be live going live on Thursday. I'll have to let you guys know what platform I'm assuming it's going to be Instagram because we're going to start giving, try to get some more content to our Instagram followers moving forward. But, uh, uh, guys, bills are 10 and three. We're literally getting ready to clinch a playoff spot next week. Most likely somehow, some way we are probably also. Going to be clinching the AFC East title here pretty soon. We got a couple games left. We got a, a very sneaky Denver team coming up. Very sneaky. But I got a feeling this Bills team is going to win out. I got a feeling we're going to go 13-3, and that's going to be huge for this team moving forward. Um, but as you guys said, make sure you're subscribing to us on YouTube. Make sure that if you can, when you're watching the show on Facebook, share it so other people can get in. Um, and uh, we'll be giving away another prize pretty soon. We just gave away a shirt, a, a Buffalo Renegade shirt with Matt Barkley and Cold Socks and Buffalo and Whack on uh, Instagram to support the Matt Urban Foundation. But uh, 
Yeah, we're going to be giving away more. I know Dan Gabino cooking up some more t-shirts over there in Buffalo Weck and Josh over there in Buffalo Weck. So just make sure uh, other than that. And uh, guys, that's the end of our show. That's it. 10 and 3. I mean, what else can we ask for, right? Super Bowl win. <laughs> yeah, against the Washington football team. Let's get out of here. We're out of here, man. Catch you guys later. Thanks for tuning in.